All right. Well, first off, if that intro did not make you feel the Holy Spirit, if it did not move you, if it did not make you want to clap your hands, I'm not sure I can help you much. But nonetheless, welcome to our first episode of The Lord's Line, our new late night dial in show with me, your host, Deacon W. And I'm here. Have no fear. We are going to go down your questions. We're going to play some music. And we're just going to spend a little time together. However, before we start taking your calls, if you would be so kind, I'd like to take a minute and talk about the Lord. To talk about God, to talk about life, so may I have a moment. (laughs) All right. There's this story about travelers riding camels across the desert. There was a brigade of them, right? These men were riding their camels across the desert to their destination. And at the end of the night, they had a rest, they had a sleep. So the men took the camels and began to tie them down. But they found out one thing. They found out that they only have enough rope and pegs for four camels, but there were five of them. So the leader said, don't worry, camels are a very stupid creature. All you got to do is make sure you're going through the motions of tying them down and they're going to stay there all night. So the man did as his captain said. He walked up to the camel and he pretended to put the rope on his neck. He pretended to tie it to the peg and then he pretended to nail the nail into the ground to keep it there. And just as the captain said, the camel stayed there all night. However, in the morning, they found that that camel would not go with them. It would, it it stayed in one place. And the captain said, well, of course it did. You have to go through the motions of untying it. And they did. And then the camel went away. And I can't help but feel my brothers and sisters, that lately in our conversations and our discussions, we are those camels. We feel as if we are weighed down by doctrine, by trauma, by beliefs. And all we have to do is untie it ourselves. So untie those invisible bonds, untie those invisible chains, sit down with the Lord, sit down with Mary, sit down with the saints and discover who they are for yourself, not necessarily behind church doors. I will say some churches are beautiful, some are great, but I understand that many of them have wronged you. So why are you still tied to the ground? Why are those invisible bonds still holding you back? Untie them and let go and move on. Reclaim your power and find out what these figures and spirits mean to you. Another beautiful thing has happened recently, and that is we just had the feast day of Our Lady of Lords, which was an amazing and fairly modern Marian apparition where the Divine Mother appeared in Lord's France to St. Bernadette. And I won't get into the full story. And if you want to learn more about Lord's, please do your own reading and research. I also shared a post on Instagram about it recently. But there are two things 
that I love about that story. So in a nutshell, Mary appeared over a few days to Bernadette, who was a, a poor peasant girl. And she told Bernadette, build a church for me here. And also pointed her towards a wellspring, a spring that would give water to the community, which they did not know about. There are two things I really love about this story, my brothers and sisters. The first thing is how Mary appears to those that the community and the world has forgotten. Mary appears consistently to those that might feel unloved, unwelcomed. Juan Diego in Mexico. Various girls in the village of Rwanda during genocides, Mary appeared. The children of Fatima, and now to St. Bernadette as well. She appears to them, to the people that society has forgotten and overlooks. And I love that because oftentimes we feel overlooked and we feel forgotten and we have to remember, am I not here? I who am your mother. But the second thing, the second thing is really what I want to talk about today. This is the most beautiful element to me of the Lord's story. Mary told St. Bernadette three secrets. And she told Bernadette to not tell a soul. Similar to Fatima, right? Where she told the children secrets as well. So what was the secret? What were the secrets that Mary told Bernadette? We don't know because she kept it a secret because she was ordered to not tell a soul and the Pope is a soul. That divine personal revelation stays with St. Bernadette. It did not become doctrine. It did not become dogma. It did not become a way or a thing or an item for people and man to, to analyze and switch and mess with to make it meet their own needs. It stayed with Bernadette. What is your private revelation? What is your relationship with these spirits outside of the church? Bernadette got a whole secret from Mary that was personal. God is real. Mary, your mother is real. The saints are real and they can give you what you need beyond church doors, beyond the doors of an institution. So I understand that many of you suffer from trauma and religion, or you spend so much time in your mind trying to balance and weigh out various issues and items to make things reconcile with what the church teaches with the bigotry of people on Twitter are saying, and that's okay, let them talk. Establish that relationship, get that divine revelation on your own. And just like the story at the beginning of the camels being tied down, take off your bonds. Take off the chains that bind you. And that is the point I was trying to get across in the reconstruction episode. So please listen to that. There will be more content along those lines. And I am touched and honored to be working with each of you who have reached out after that episode and told me nice things. 
But it ain't about telling me nice things. It's the fact that you are reconnecting that brings me peace. But it's not about me. It's about you. It's about your soul. And I'm not talking about your soul in regards to damnation. That's foolish. I'm talking about your soul feeling so light. And you can see and find God that's connecting and swirling around you. That's what I mean by your soul. The second thing that I really wanted to get across in the month of February just came out in the St. Francis episode is this idea of God seeking you. And I've just said it last week, but I'm going to say it again right now. So often we seek God consider ourselves seekers in various ways. We're all seeking something. Many of us seek the divine in various forms. But what about a God who seeks us? That line from the Quran has been haunting me in the most beautiful way. And the line is, if my servant seeks me at a hand's breadth, I will go to him at an arm's length. If my servant seeks me at an arm's length, I will go to him at a fathom. And if my servant comes to me walking, I will go to them running. We have made the kingdom outside of ourselves. We have made glory outside of ourselves. Many people have made religion about an afterlife. The kingdom is here. Glory is here. God is swirling around you at this moment. You do not just seek God. God seeks you. You just have to listen. You just have to quiet your mind and find God. You have to rid your mind of all the preconceptions. There's a story about a man who was deaf and he asked, what does jazz sound like? People told him that jazz sounds like cool water. That jazz sounds like the color green. And then when the man miraculously got his hearing one day, he couldn't find jazz because he was looking for cool water. He was looking for the color green. You cannot find God if you're so sure of what God looks like. You cannot find God if you're so sure of what you think you're looking for. You have to quiet your mind. Feel it and find the God that seeks you. If you go to him walking, he will come to you running. So if there are only two things you got out of this whole month of episodes, to take off those invisible chains. Don't be the camel that is too afraid to go just because you were told to stay put. And don't be the person that is looking for God because they think God looks a certain way, tastes a certain way, sounds a certain way. Don't be the fish asking for directions to the ocean. Instead, look around you. Take a deep breath right now and feel the air in your lungs because that is God. 
Look at your lover, at your family, at your child, and the breath that comes out of them. Their heartbeat, that beating heart, is God. Look outside and see the birds. Look in the sky and see the sun and the clouds. That is God. The feeling you feel in your soul and your spirit when you are so moved by a piece of poetry, by a song, that is God. As you hold your child in your arms and you feel their breath and you start to cry, that is God. The safety and contentness you feel when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, that is God. The feeling of life entering your body when you wake up in the morning, that is God. Even the moments in which you are scared, even the moments in which you are sad, even the moments in which you are heartbroken, that is God. Because deep down, you know that soon things will be okay and you will take things from these moments and you will heal and you will be stronger in that silent voice, that silent voice voice, that silent rhythm, that silent song that tells you to keep going, that song is God. If my servant comes to me walking, I go to them running. Whew. All right, that got a little more intense. That got a little more intense than I thought it would be tonight. But I was moved by the spirit to say that to you. So <laughs> I hope I didn't scare you off. But if that spoke to at least one of you, then I know that I am doing my job here tonight. But the real reason you and I are gathered here today is to take some calls. So these were sent in ahead of time through the Anchor app in which I shared on Instagram. I'm going to be putting that in the description of this episode because we're going to be doing this again. So whenever you have a question and you want to quote unquote dial in, you can just record it in that link. However, even though these are pre-recorded and sent in, these are the first times I am hearing them. So I did not have time to prepare any of these in which I have in past episodes. So this will be a little more fun. All right. Can we get a little organ riff or something right here? A little organ before we do the call? Yeah, there we go. All right, let's jump into our first question. And this comes from listener Ty. So, Ty, you have the floor. Welcome to the show. Hey, W, thanks for taking my question. So, sometimes I feel like I'm oversimplifying my prayers and not being heard. So, how can I go about deconstructing my previous notions of what prayer should be and view it in a different light? Thanks. That is a wonderful question, and it is a well-timed question because I'm actually in the middle of doing some research on a larger episode on how to pray. Because there are various ways to pray, and I feel like, at least me growing up in the Catholic Church, I was really taught one way to pray, and that was usually a pre-written prayer that was imbued maybe with a petition in it, right? Like you will say a novena prayer, however, you might have a petition at the end. Um, you pray over your food, but it's, you know, the bless us, O Lord prayer. There's not much personality in those prayers. However, they are useful because to me, they have an energy that has been built up over time. But then you have the spontaneous prayer, the prayers from the heart, which I think are also beautiful. First off, no prayer is too simple. I think that 
A lot of that is a relic of us thinking that we have to have all of our shit together. We have to be perfect. We have to have an elaborate display or be impeccable in how we talk to God, how we talk to the divine, how we talk to saints and so forth. And that's not necessarily true. Um, prayer can be very simple. Most of the times when I pray, it is simple. However, I think there is a lot of benefit to making something your own ritual. Do I think it's more efficacious? Yes. Um, I think it's more powerful because I think you put more time and energy into it. So what do I mean about making it a ritual? I would try to include it with something else. So that might be something like a novena, where it's a nine-day candle prayer in which you have a certain ritual, a certain routine you're doing. That might be lighting the novena candle, praying the novena prayer, then doing the rosary. So you're stating your petition in the novena prayer and you state your petition after the rosary. Um, that might be something a little more intense, but it could also be something as simple as you're sitting down and you light a candle while you say the prayer, then you put the candle out. It could be writing a letter to God or to a saint and either keeping that on your altar or throwing it away after you're done. I think that a way to make prayer more personal is to make your own personal routine and ritual out of it. But honestly, when I pray, it's pretty simple. Though I speak to God or I speak to the saints like they are in front of me, I get authentic with them. I get real with them. I tell them my problems. I tell them how I'm feeling and I tell them how I need them. I plead to them. I speak from my heart to them. So I do think that sponta spontaneity, that spontaneous prayer is very important. Though you might need something to build that up within you, Psalms help with that. So if it's a prayer for protection, Psalm 23, it's a prayer for healing, maybe 91. So maybe pray something else to kind of get the feeling. And then once that feeling is there, once that feeling was, is within you, once you feel that fire, then speak from your heart. Speak real and authentic. Nonetheless, I think if you're feeling oversimplistic and you're insecure about it, or you are unsure of the efficacy, I do recommend some kind of ritual, whether that's a novena, whether that is maybe a rosary, whether that's just simply lighting a candle to, in a prayer card. I also really enjoy centering prayers. And what I mean by that is a, rep, a repetitive or repetition prayer to get you into a certain rhythm. Uh, personally, I really like, I really like Sanskrit mantras, Japa mantras for this, but putting it into a Christian or Catholic context, I really like the Jesus prayer for that or, or the Kyrie Elison for that. So the Jesus prayer would just be sitting there, shoulders back, chin up, and just repeating, Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Feel that rhythm. Let that rhythm overtake you. Let that rhythm move you. This is starting to sound like a Lionel Richie song. I didn't mean that. But let that rhythm bring something out within you to eventually become words to God. But that rhythm centers you. Another is Kyrie Elison, Kyrie Elison, Christe Elison, Kyrie Elison. Kyrie Elison, Christe Elison, Kyrie Elison. Or the Latin version of the Jesus prayer, Domini, 
Jesu Christe, Fille de Miserere me. Domine Jesu Christe, Fille de Miserere me. Over and over again. So a centering prayer might also help you speak from your heart more gently. So that was a bit of a ramble, but I think one, create your own ritual. It could be a candle lighting, it could be a novena, it could be walking around your neighborhood while listening to a certain song, while praying a pocket rosary while you do it. But make it some kind of ritual. I think that will make it feel more special to you. Also try out some kind of centering meditation or centering prayer before you do it. And thank you very much for your question. That was a great one and a great one to start things out with. All right. Our next caller is Katie. Katie, you are on the air. Hey, W. I love the podcast, and uh, so here's my question. Um, is saint work necromancy? And I'm not saying that, you know, that's necessarily a problem if it is, but if you are working with the dead and you're doing magic, is it by definition necromancy? Is that a bad thing? Um, that's my question. Thank you for the compliment, and thank you for the great question. Is saint work necromancy? Yes, it absolutely is. So that is one of the many reasons why I find such difficulty and problems in the church saying all forms of magic are bad, because by definition, Catholicism is an incredibly magical and mystical practice, though necromancy wouldn't necessarily be confined just to the Catholic Church. It could be found in the Christian Church across Protestant dominations. I mean, when we pray to a loved one to watch over us, that could technically be necromancy. However, I also see the fact that Catholicism pushes a kind of elaborate ritual in a novena to work with a deceased saint. Absolutely, it is necromancy. Um, is it a bad thing? No. Um, I think the issue with necromancy, and I gave this analogy in two of my listener Q&As in the past, um, my analogy here is often that the church basically says, don't do any magic because you're going to get hurt, and it's a blanket statement, right? The analogy I've used in the past is when I was little, we had a very large truck, a Bronco, um, and it was raised, and I used to stand underneath it, and I asked my parents if this Bronco ran me over, but I stayed in between all four tires, would I get hurt? And they were like, yeah, absolutely, you get hurt, never be under a car. However, no, I, I you know, if the ankle was right, I wasn't wearing loose clothing, I probably would have been okay. My parents aren't going to tell me that. They're just going to say, no, never be under a moving vehicle, W. It doesn't make any sense. You're going to hurt yourself. I feel like the church does that. So when they say no necromancy, they're meaning Ouija boards and they're meaning direct contact with the afterlife because you may accidentally summon the demonic. That's what they're saying. But it's a blanket statement, and then it causes confusion because what you're bringing up is, well, saint work is necromancy. Well, is you also say tarot is bad, but what if I ask the Holy Spirit to help me with tarot? What if the Holy Spirit is divining me with tarot? There's divination in the Bible. In fact, there are many chaplets in the rosary in which if you pray it for so many days, you're supposed to get some kind of divination. So the church says don't do these things as a good intended blanket statement so you don't accidentally summon a demon. So yes, saint work is by definition necromancy. 
Um, and interestingly enough, saints are not the only spirits you are quote unquote allowed to talk to in traditional Catholicism. Traditional Catholicism also says that you can pray to the souls in purgatory so they can assist you. Or more commonly, you're supposed to be praying to assist them, but you can also petition those souls in purgatory to assist you. That's fine. So you can also talk to the souls in purgatory. You can also speak to loved ones that you feel are in heaven. Um, the term saint in the Catholic context is anyone that is in heaven. Yes, there are Catholic church saints that the church put paperwork behind, but anyone that has passed away that you feel is, is in heaven, you can speak to and pray to. That's part of becoming a Catholic church saint is praying to someone after they die so they will help you in the form of a miracle. So absolutely, saint work is necromancy for sure. And it is a good example of the church having these magical mystical elements while also trying to tell you to not look at the magic. But it's there and it's a very powerful tool. And thank you so much for that great question. And now we have a question from friend of the show, <laughs> Ramona Martinez. So thank you, Ramona, and you are on the air. Hi, W. This is Ramona Martinez. I am calling the Lord's line this evening to ask about Padre Pio. I got to know Padre Pio last year on his feast day after offering uh, his statue at a local bakery, a cookie. And I was wondering if you could talk about the different ways that one could work with Padre Pio. I know that you're good at suggesting things beyond their usual offices. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. And I really want to say thanks for making this show. I love that, like, especially the Saint Biography episodes, they really enhance my spiritual life. So thank you. Bye. Thank you, Ramona. And for everyone who is interested, Ramona has incredible artwork. You can find her at by underscore Ramona underscore Martinez on Instagram. I am also a member of her Patreon because she sends out saint stickers on a certain tier. So check out her Patreon, check out her Instagram. So thank you for an incredible question about one of my favorite saints, Padre Pio. So if you're unfamiliar with Padre Pio, one of the most incredible modern saints, he's probably considered the best, <laughs> if you want to rank a saint, the best or I guess most interesting, most effective, most powerful saint of our time, of our modern era, not only for the miracles he had performed in his life while on earth, um, things like biolocation, things like reading souls, things like intense healing, even in dreams. Of course, he bore the stigmata, but also all of the miracles he still performs today. Um, I've read quite a few biographies on Pio, and while there are some areas of his life that lead me to really want to dive in further and, and question areas and things like that, one thing that I cannot get past 
is just the thousands of miracles that have been attributed to his intercession both when he's alive and even now after his death. So as far as what is his current patronage, he doesn't really have a lot of interesting ones. Adolescents, volunteers, and civil defense workers. Uh, and of course, uh, certain areas of Italy, since that is where he lived and where his monastery was. Um, so he doesn't have a lot of unique patronages. However, many people do see him as a patron. Of course, he was well known to heal people while he was alive and after death. There's been incredible, miraculous healings after doing novenas to him, so he can definitely be used as a healing saint. I, I think he is an incredible one for that. So if you want to look past that, though, let's look at his life. A big part of his life is that he was misunderstood. He was oppressed against. The church did not believe him. They did not believe his stigmata. They thought he was starting a cult. And thus, they silenced him. They did not let him leave his cell in his monastery. They did not let him perform mass. They stopped him from hearing confessions. So thus, I would also use him for any time you are feeling as if you are being silenced, if you are being discriminated against, if you are feeling as if an institution, a person, a company, a situation is holding you back because he could definitely relate to that. Another way I would work with Padre Pio would be in the form of helping me connect to God on a mystical level. Pio, though he did not write any books on theology or write any epic poems like the mystic St. John of the Cross or St. Therese or anything like that, Pio was still a mystic in the simple form that he could feel God, he would talk to God, he would commune with God, he had a great relationship with his guardian angel, and he would commune with the guardian angel. So anytime I need assistance in connecting with the divine, connecting with the Holy Spirit in my spiritual life, I would also welcome Padre Pio on my altar. Pio is one of my favorite saints, as you know, um, Ramona. I've been wanting to do all the Franciscans, but first I had to get St. Francis out of the way. So soon we will be doing an episode on Anthony of Padua and then our friend Padre Pio. However, to recap, an incredible saint for healing work, an incredible saint to have as an ally when you feel as if you are being oppressed against. And then lastly, a saint to help you connect with God more fully, to live a more pious life. Pio means pious and just help you connect with God. All right, next on the line is Melissa. Melissa, you are on the air. Hi, longtime listener, first time caller. So I was just curious. Um, I was raised Christian, I was baptized in a church, um, Baptist, not Catholic. And now that I'm sort of finding my way back, do you think it's necessary to be like, fully converted, take the catechism courses, get baptized as a Catholic, attend mass, or do the saints not care as long as you hold them in your heart and walk with them and work with them. Thanks so much. And thanks for this podcast. It's been illuminating. Thank you so much for an incredible question, Melissa. 
I do not think that you need to go down the path of fully converting to the Catholic Church just because you want to work with the saints. Um, they certainly do not mind, as I've said in past Q&As and past episodes and the intro episodes we've done. You do not have to be Catholic or even Christian to work with saints. Just like a saint, while they are on earth, would not turn away someone just because they were of a different religion, a saint will not turn away from you. And I do think there is power in things like the Eucharist. I even think there is, I don't know about a power, but an endearing quality to things like confession. So I do think that those have their places. So if you'd like to join a church and, and go that route, I'm not going to push you away from it. But I do think a lot of what I am talking about here on this podcast and what I'm recommending is that personal relationship and that personal connection and that personal unification with the divine and with the saints. And you taking classes and joining a congregation and joining a parish and doing paperwork, the saints don't care about that. Frankly, neither does God or Jesus or Mary. They just care about what's in your heart. Now, if you have a church that you enjoy going to, you like the priest, you like the people, you feel as if they fit what you are looking for, by all means, go for it. I mean, at least walk down that line and see what it means and see how that resonates with you. But I definitely do not think it's necessary for you to go to those RCIA courses and take catechism courses. I think what you're doing now is perfect as it is. Thank you for a great question. All right. Next question is Monica. Monica, you are live on the Lord's line. What's your question? Hi, W. This is Monica. Uh, my question is, I was just wondering if you've ever worked with Mary undoer of knots great question i have i have um, i do not have a statue of her the main versions of mary i personally work with are lady of sorrows and guadalupe and i feel like my altar is would run out of space if i had every version of mary out there i believe that i did talk about mary undoer of knots maybe in my last listener q a which was almost three hours long so i understand if a lot of people did not listen to that one this one will not be three hours long nonetheless i did not go into detail too much um so i really enjoy our Lady Undoer of Knots, oftentimes I will use a prayer card and the prayer that is simply on the back of it as a prayer after I do a rosary. But I think she is very great for undoing knots. In the story of Mary Undoer of Knots, there was a church, I want to say in Germany, a cathedral actually, in which there was a painting of Mary. It was a very unique painting. And the priest there would actually do marriage counseling underneath this unique image of Mary undoing knots. And then that image in that chapel, that cathedral rather, became very well known for helping people undo their problems. And of course, marriage problems was one, but it could be personal problems, addiction, bad habits, things of that nature. So she is really great. I almost see her like 
a Ganesha type figure and Hinduism, Ganesha would be the remover of obstacles. You have that entity in a lot of religions, someone that removes obstacles. And you also have the liminal deities who could open and close doors or crossroad deities, um, Bacchus, Hecate, um, even in certain areas of folk Christianity, it would be St. Peter. So you have a lot of deities in various cultures that either remove obstacles by bursting through them or by opening the door so that you can go through. So it's a very common theme in Eastern religions and Greek and Roman mythology. So I love that we have that in Mary Undoer of Knots because it's a very common theme in various cultures. Um, and many people don't look at Mary as vastly as we could or can. So yes, um, I have worked with her and she is an incredible person to do, to do a novena to or just pray her prayer to remove those knots. And those knots, yes, they could be physical. They could be something that is ailing us, something that is getting to us, weighing us down. Or it could be something spiritually blocking us as well. So thank you for a great question. And I love Mary Undoer of Knots. I recommend everyone listening to check her out. Thank you. All right. And our last dial-in question comes from Nancy, another friend of the show. Nancy, glad to have you on the line. Hi there. So I guess... This is a combo saint folk magic question uh, in regards to St. Christopher. I know that he is the patron saint of travelers, so my question is, do you know what I can have in my car to invoke his protection? Thanks. Thank you, Nancy. So Christopher is an incredible saint for our times right now, because not only is St. Christopher the patron saint of traveling, more specifically, he is one of the 15 holy helpers that was established in the Catholic Church in the medieval times, not only as a patron saint to help you during your travels, but a saint to assist you in travels during the plague. So in the time of covid we could use the patron saint of traveling during the plague. So I love Christopher. And yes, this is going to be a very simple answer. Absolutely, you can put a medal or medallion of his around your mirror. You can leave a saint card in your glove box, glove compartment, something of that nature. Uh, my grandfather and all of my uncles on my mother's side were big Christopher devotees. Um, they were fishermen, so they would often be traveling by boat. I'm not sure why they didn't choose Peter, who was the patron saint of fishermen. Nonetheless, they traveled a lot for work, and Christopher was the one to oversee them. They all wore the St. Christopher medals, and they kept um, the Christopher cards in their car or on their boats. So yeah, this one's going to be as simple as having something around your mirror or even on your person while you're driving. So even if you want to just wear the medallion, I think is totally fine. I guess going back to our friend Ty and his question about prayer, and he feels like it's too simple. If you feel like just having a simple medal 
is too basic. If you want to make it uh, more personalized, what I would do is I would take a red thread, include the Christopher amulet on there, and let's find some other stuff to put on that red thread, right? We can have a cornicello. We could have a small horseshoe um, charm. You don't want to put a whole horseshoe on there. Or maybe if it's small enough, why not? Uh, but make your own charm that way. You can put a Benedict medal as well. You could put a medal of Mary, who's also another great protectress. Um, Joseph as well, right? Joseph traveled with his family across the desert. So I could, I would also recommend using or creating your own charm or your own ward of some sort with a red thread and things that just speak to you. So I hope that satisfied your Christopher question and thanks so much for sending it in. All right, and this leads us to our first break of the show. Since we've been talking about freedom, since we've been talking about removing the chains that bind us, because oftentimes they're invisible, here is O oh Freedom by the Antioch Mass Choir. Enjoy. And I want to let you know that today's episode is sponsored by Psalm 91. If you are looking to be wrapped in his feathers and under his wings, shall you trust? If you want to avoid the snares of the fowler and the noise and pestilence, if you do not want to fear the terror by night nor the air that flieth by day, check out Psalm 91. Thank you so much for letting me be as campy as possible on this episode. This has been fun. Thank you for joining me, and we are back. 
Can I get a little more organ right now? Beautiful. All right, so I hope that I have been of assistance. Thank you so much, everyone who has dialed in this evening, though we do have many more questions that came in through Instagram. So let's chat about those as well. So the first question comes from Troy the Dumb Witch, in which they have asked me, do you know anything about St. Sava? There's a church in my area who has them in their name. As I told you, listeners, I'm jumping into this blind. First time I've heard these questions. So I'm going to tell you, honestly, no, I do not know much about St. Sava. I do know they are a Byzantine or more so Eastern Orthodox saint, though I am pretty sure they are also venerated in Catholicism, which likely means they were an early church father. I do love me some early church fathers. I love me some St. Basil. I love me some St. Gregory of Nyssa. However, I'm not too familiar with this particular saint. So I apologize, though I'm still answering it because I'm just an authentic person. All right, my friends, next on the list. I, I could have just not answered that, but um, no, uh, I'm not too familiar with Sava and uh, I'm pretty sure I have not come across him in any of my folkloric books either. This next question isn't really a question. It's just simply the words about rosary magic. So thank you for your statement about rosary magic. Um, the rosary is one of my favorite tools of all time. As I discussed in my reconstruction episode, the rosary today is seen as just a devotional tool, and it is. And we need that devotional element. We need to create a relationship with these spirits, with these deities, with these entities. And the rosary definitely can help us connect with Mary. But if you go and look at the promises that Mary gave St. Dominic, there are so many magical and mystical ones. And the one that I think is the most, or let's say the two that I think are the most appealing that I also discussed in the Reconstruction episode, one, she'll give you whatever you ask for. And the second one, you will have easier access to the entire celestial court. And we forget about that. We forget that there are actual manifestation elements to the rosary. I'm actually doing a four-week course on my Patreon, link is in the description, in which we are going to work up and how to use the rosary for manifestation. I love meditation. I have sat zazen, I've done vipassana, chanted japa mala for many years, love me some meditation, but the rosary is hard. The rosary is breath meditation. It is visualization meditation. It is mantra meditation. All in one. It's hard to do it at once and it's manifestation meditation as well. So what I'm doing on Patreon right now is I am breaking all of those elements down and they can all be used on their own. So we're going to talk about how to meditate with your breath. Then we're going to talk about how to meditate with visualization and then with repetition and then how to form all of them together and put it towards your rosary practice. Again, they can be used on their own or all put together. My point though is rosary is hard. 
But when you do it right, it can be a very powerful meditation as well as manifestation tool. The easiest way to manifest with the rosary is pretty effective, but it's pretty simple. And it's this. When praying your rosary, when saying the Hail Mary, Hail Mary full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Now insert your petition. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, who healed me, who granted me my dream job, who helped me meet the love of my life. I don't know. But the point is, is that when you do your prayer after fruit of thy womb, say your manifestation and say it as it's already happened and use that in your prayers. And that will assist you in those things coming true. And that is one of the most approachable ways to use the rosary as a manifestation tool. Like I've said in past episodes, uh, the rosary magic episode will be an epic one. I'm just saving it for later because it's going to be a lot, but it's going to be a lot of fun as well. So the rosary um, for manifestation, that is one. Um, mana the rosary for protection, if you want to check out the Our Lady of Sorrows episode, I share a spell about how to use the rosary, an Our Lady of Sorrows rosary, to protect your home, to protect your person. It involves holy water, a candle, and a few other things. But again, the rosary in of herself is magical, especially if you start meditating upon the mysteries and really see how those mysteries speak to you. But I really do enjoy that manifestation trick of adding what you want. I have used that before with very good success. Thank you for your question. Sorry I was sassy about it. All right. Underscore cat underscore Lynn asks... What's your approach for Lent? I'm doing things differently this year and would love your take. Wonderful question. So I live in the Southern United States in the New Orleans, Louisiana area. And during the Lenten season, that's when you have the crawfish boils. That is when you have the po'boys. That is when you have the fish fries on Fridays. And growing up, I was always confused because I was like, I thought we were giving something up for Lent, but what? Okay, we're not eating pepperoni pizza. Instead, we're eating very delicious boiled crawfish and shrimp po'boys. Like, come on. Hell yeah, bring me Lent all the time. So it never really made sense to me from a dietary standpoint. Um, the whole seafood thing just never really stood out to me. And frankly, I already eat very simply. So any kind of dietary changes for me, it just does not make sense. So how I approach Lent is some kind of devotion mixed with some kind of service. How am I approaching it this year? I am reading The Life of Christ by Fulton J. Sheen. I am also doing a Jesus prayer meditation in Latin each morning, and I'm doing prostrations when I do it. So Domine Ezu, Fide de Miserereme. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And as I say those words, I do the sign of the cross. So I'll say it in English this time. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. I just did the sign of the cross at each one of those. And then standing up, then I do a full prostration on the ground and I stand back up. And I'll do that a hundred times each morning during Lent. 
and then I'll be reading Fulton J. Sheen's book. I also have just a lot of books I need to read for the podcast as well. And then I like to have some kind of service element. I have not figured out what that is gonna be yet. I have assisted in soup kitchens and food banks in the past, so it might be something along those lines. Nonetheless, instead of giving something up, I like to do something to serve others, and I also like to do something that will strengthen my devotion. So that could be like me, I'm doing the Jesus prayer with a full body prostration, which is very similar to doing like a sun salutation 108 times in yoga. Um, but you could maybe do an extra rosary. Maybe there's a chaplet you'd like to do. Our Lady of Sorrows chaplet would be ideal for this season. I already do have a routine with Our Lady of Sorrows chaplet, but I would like to pick that back up. So there could be a devotional element that you'd like to include, but I, I like the devotional element, the education element, and the service element. Oh, I want to do Lectio Divina. So Lectio Divina is sacred study of scripture. It's a meditation practice where you meditate. There's a certain meditation process on a certain Bible verse. I actually bought a Bible just to do this. I will also be doing an episode on that, but that's also likely something I'm going to include in my practice during Lent. The next question comes from my new friend, Joseph, who is at Son of the Sorrowful Mother. Joseph asks us today on the Lord's line, he wants to know, how do you ensure that you are not conjuring up the demonic while doing any working? Well, my friend, I am sure that the demonic is not around me. I am sure that the devil is running far away from me. The devil does not want to be near me, my friend Joseph, because I have the Lord on my side, because I chant the names of Mary and the saints in a simple repetition of the name of the mother, who is queen of the angels, means she is also queen of the fallen ones, and simply hearing the name Mary Hearing, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, the demons go running far, far away. So my brother, how do I know that I am not conjuring up the demonic? I know that because I am conjuring up the Lord. I am conjuring up the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming down and cleansing this space so that any instance of the evil one will flee. My brother, now... How do I know that as well? Because I don't mess with the demonic. I mess with Mary. I mess with the saints. I mess with the Lord. The issue with summoning or conjuring the demonic has to do when someone asks, is any spirit here? <laughs> Can any spirit assist me with my tarot reading? Can any spirit assist me with this thing that I need? And in that case, any spirit that is there will come forward and sometimes that spirit is not one that means you well. So the work I do, the work many people in this folk Catholic area, folk Christianity area, even hoodoo area work on, it's usually just novenas with some herbs, some oils, maybe taking that same novena principle and putting it into a, a bottle or a jar type working. Um, but nonetheless, I, I don't have to worry about the demonic because the demonic is not what I work with. I work with Jesus, Mary, and the saints. 
to assist me in what I need. And I talk about the, the demonic, I talk about demons on every one of my Q&As, and here we are again talking about demons. People want to know if they can work with demons and they can work with the saints, and I tell them, no. <laughs> uh, I've given longer answers to that, so if that's the first time you're hearing me, go please listen to the last two or three listener Q&As where I talk about the demonic. But I tell them that I don't think you need to because you can get so many things from Mary, so many things from the saints, so many things from Jesus. Protection, binding, even justice or revenge magic. So there's no need to even mess with demons when you have the queen of all of the angels, even the fallen ones on your side, where you have the prince the general of God's army of angels, Saint Mikael, on your side. I'm not scared of the devil, Joseph. I'm not scared of the devil at all. Next question comes from Flora and Obscura. I love a good rhyming name. Thank you so much for blessing me with a little bit of poetry on this evening. What makes a saint a saint? That is the question in which you have brought forth today on the Lord's line. And I will tell you that a saint is simply anyone who has gone to heaven. So the phrase that you often hear in pop culture is an angel gained their wings when someone passes away, right? When someone passes away, we call them an angel. It's not necessarily accurate if you want to be an annoying theologian because angels are a species. Angels exist on their own outside of humans. When someone dies, at least in Catholicism, we refer to them as a saint. Granted, they go to heaven. Anyone that goes to heaven is part of what we call the church triumphant, and all of them are called saints. So technically speaking, and I've kind of alluded this to this already in this episode, anyone who has crossed the other side is a saint. And if they are across the other side, we can call upon them for assistance. That could be a relative. That could be someone you admire. Yes, it's necromancy, but it's beautiful necromancy. Though I understand your question, it, it is likely under the guise of what makes the Catholic Church deem someone canonized to be a saint. And that has been evolving. It's actually a fairly new process. The formal process to become a saint in which you had to meet certain criteria is fairly new. It comes from the 1700s. Before then, the church would just declare you as a saint. But then you started to have to meet criterias in the 1700s or so. And that criteria is as follows. One, you had to have lived a great life <laughs> on earth, a saintly life. And then when you pass away, the church has to beatify you. And beatification, before that, the church has to investigate your life in order to beatify you. Um, beatification, you'll, you'll see someone called blessed, and blessed means that they have, are under the process of beatification or they have been beatified. And that is when the church really just goes through your life to make sure that there's no skeletons in your closet. The famous writer G.K. Chesterton um, who's written great books on many of the saints. He was actually up for beatification, but they found out that some of his writings had a lot of anti-Semitic undertones, so he never made it to the next stage. And then once you have been beatified, 
now you have to perform at least two miracles. So that means your community, usually your parish, they are encouraged to pray to the saint so a miracle will happen. Right now we have seen Fulton Sheen, who is a famous, for lack of a better term, televangelist, because before that term was coined, he was on the air. Um, he has, he's venerable, which means he is just awaiting canonization. He has performed various miracles when people have prayed to him. So that's what you're waiting on at the beatification stage. You're waiting on these miracles to happen from beyond the grave. And then when they do, and the church approves them, then you become canonized as a saint. And the church is very hardcore about the miracles. The miracles can have no scientific backing or the scientific explanation has to be very rare. For instance, um, a lot of the Marian apparitions have not been approved or like the children of Fatima, there were thousands of miracles from Fatima, from Lourdes, and all of this that would come in and come in and come in, but the church only approved one or two um, because all of them had scientific explanations. Similarly with Padre Pio, Padre Pio had thousands upon thousands of miracles, um, but the church has such strict restrictions. Is that a oxymoron. They have such restrictions around what they declare a miracle or not that only a few actually made it through. So beatified, your parish prays you for a miracle, a miracle happens, and then the church approves you for canonization in which you become a saint. All right. Self IDK underscore. What's a prayer slash psalm that for sure banishes any evil entities I'm having some problems shaking my head. Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, He is my fortress, He is my God in whom I trust. Surely He will deliver thee from the snares of the fowler and from the noise and pestilence. He shall cover thee in his feathers, and under his wings shall I trust, for his truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flieth by day, nor the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy right side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither any plague shall come in thy dwelling. For he has given his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways, and they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest they dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion the dragon shall trample under feet, because he has set his love upon me. Therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he knows my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and shew him my salvation. Selah. Also the sponsor of today's episode. 91. 91 and of course 23. I won't, I won't do 23 right now. You probably were annoyed that I just did all of 91. Nonetheless, 
check out my Protective Psalms episode. There's also a prayer called Anima Christi, Soul of Christ. Very beautiful prayer that is also very protective. Um, there's a book called Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity. It has incredible prayers for protection, for banishing evil spirits that may be against you. Um, if you are a member of my Patreon, I'm not sure if you are, I just posted my favorite deliverance prayers on there. They're all public um, domain. They can be found in that book. They can be found online. Um, though there are some really good ones there that you can find. The Carmelite Invocation is a good one. Look that up. That is a prayer that not only calls upon the Holy Spirit, God, and Mary, and Jesus to protect you, but also calls upon some really powerful saints, St. John the Baptist, St. John of the Cross, um, things of that nature. So Carmelite Invocation, Anima Christi, Psalm 23, Psalm 91. Also check out my Protective Psalms episode. I'd also recommend a chaplet or a prayer to Our Lady of Sorrows. Selah. The next question comes from Gabe, 4930. Opinion on taking communion while not in a state of grace by the church's standards. I am likely in the minority that I believe confession is a beautiful thing. Not because you are telling your sins to a priest. Now, if you go back to my Reconstruction episode, you will hear and see that my idea of sin is likely not the sin that you grew up with, though it is the version of sin that many Eastern Catholics and Eastern Orthodox folks believe, and that is that sin is not this checklist that is keeping you from heaven. Instead, sin is something that weighs you down. Sin, by definition in the Catholic Church, is a distance from God. Hell is a distancing from God. It is a state of being in which it makes it more difficult for you to commune with God. Do I believe that that is restricted to a book or a list of bullet points put together by man? Absolutely not. That is not sin. Sin will differ from person to person. In some aspects, of course, mortal sin, like murder, yeah, that's going to be everyone. But we all have certain things that stop us from communing with the divine. So to me, something like confession is beautiful not because uh, you're telling your sins to a priest. It is beautiful because they pray over you. That's incredible. Someone is praying over you that you will remove these blockages from your life. So do I think you can go and get communion while not in a quote-unquote state of grace by the standards of the church? Absolutely. I'm sure many people do. I, I've heard priests talking about that quite often, that the confessional booths are usually empty, meaning everyone is either perfect or people are getting their communion while not in a so-called state of grace. It's fine, but... I do still recommend confession. I think there's something beautiful about having someone pray over you. So do not be afraid to repent. Do not be afraid to be asked that you are cleansed. For you will walk more confidently and you will live more lightly. Go and get the bread. Go and get the wine. Go and get the body and the blood. 
But do not overlook someone laying their hands upon you or waving their hands over you and saying, my child, you are absolved. My child, you can walk more lightly. You can walk more confidently. Go forth and set the world on fire. My next question here comes from none other than Beccasaurus1202. Hi, Beccasaurus1202. Rebecca, thank you so much for this question. I've heard you mention hyssop, but I love to learn about some other biblical herbs and how you integrate them into your practice. I do not use a ton of herbs in my practice. I kind of use whatever is in the cabinet. Basil, bay leaf for prosperity, red pepper flakes for protection, pepper for protection, um, chamomile for a delicious tea to wind down after the day, but also for healing. Nonetheless, there is something that is that are called the herbs of the Bible. One of them is hyssop. As I said before, there is the Aspergis May uh, prayer. Thou shalt sprinkle me with hyssop, and I shall be cleansed. Thou shalt wash me, and I shall be made whiter than snow. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy great mercy. And this comes from Psalm 51. So there are a lot of mention of herbs in the Bible. Hyssop is one of them. I have used hyssop in the past. I have sprinkled some in my holy water for holy water sprinkling. I have used some for protection in my novenas. Other ones would be aloe vera. That was actually uh, Nicodemus um, from the Bible. He brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes during uh, that story, which I believe is in the Gospel of John. Um, let's see what you also have. They talk about bitter herbs a lot in the Bible, um, especially in the Old Testament. It's kind of a general. Uh, cinnamon is actually in the Bible as well. Cinnamon is, cinnamon is usually used uh, for protection and healing. So cinnamon, aloe, Bitter herbs, balm. Balm would also be another one. You usually would use balm alongside myrrh, uh, usually as an offering, but also for healing. So I'm not a big herb type of guy. I come from a very strong folk magic ideology that I'm just gonna use what I have on hand. I did buy hyssop though, just because of the hyssop tie-in with the Bible. What else do we have today, my friends? Is there any saint you'd recommend to help with letting go of anger and fear? And that comes from Moth Magic. Thank you for your question. Saints to let go of anger and fear. Let's see. The first one I will say is not a saint, but rather Mary, who I guess is kind of the queen of the saints. And that would be our lady or our mother of sorrows. Her sword will soften your heart. And I have felt this personally and intensely, but praying to her and praying her chaplet will soften your heart. I have had similar experiences with Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, various venerations and versions of Mary will soften your heart and let you go past that anger. Someone earlier asked about Mary, undoer of knots. That's another one. She will untie those knots of your emotion. If you'd like some other ones, uh, St. Mikael, St. Michael, he is going to be great for bravery to assist you in battle. 
so you are not scared or feeling fear. Saint Joseph is also a very protective saint, especially if this fear is coming about in a family situation or a loved one of any kind situation. He counseled his family as they were exiled in the desert. Saint Anthony will help you find things, and in this case, you want to find peace, and you want to find joy, and you want to find confidence and strength. So check out the version of Mary that speaks to you personally as Our Lady of Sorrows, then Our Lady of Guadalupe, but Undoer of Knots will also work. Then I recommend maybe Michael. I love Michael. Michael and I have formed a great bond recently, but I have trouble talking to Michael about human things because he's not a human, though for fear he is great. Then of course, Joseph for protection and Anthony will help you find peace and find confidence. So do not be afraid. And of course, Jesus will walk alongside you and the Holy Spirit will fill you and guide you. So do not overlook them as well, my friends. Sarah X Bull asks, any book recs, also saints for OCD and anxiety? Traditionally, the saint for any kind of anxiety, any kind of mental discomfort would be Saint Dymphna. That's going to be one of the most recommended saints for anyone that is struggling with any kind of mental unwellness. And she is an incredible saint to work with, though Mary, again, is an incredible saint to work with when you are feeling anxious, when you are feeling beat down, OCD, which would be obsessing over something and you want to break that tie that is causing you discomfort. Mary would be great in the version of Mary, comforter of the afflicted. Our Lady of Guadalupe, to me, is very comforting. Am I not here? I who am your mother. Uh, Our Lady of Sorrows is a little intense. I'm not sure if you need that intensity if you're dealing with any kind of obsessive thought. Maybe you do. Maybe she can use those swords to cut those binds, um, but also meditating upon the suffering of Christ and Mary might not be great for anxiety, uh, but for me it is. Others, it may not be. Um, but Mary is incredible. With those things, Saint Dymphna as well. There are so many saints that have dealt with depression, anxiety, and darkness. Saint John of the Cross was looking to reform his order of monks in which they locked him in a cell. And he wrote the terrific, beautiful epic that is called The Dark Night of the Soul. And The Dark Night of the Soul is seen as a very critical part of many people's spiritual journeys where they feel as if they have this dark night they cannot escape from. So St. John of the Cross would be another one. St. Ignatius of Loyola is becoming a favorite saint of mine. He has a lot of great personal and spiritual reflections um, that he uses that can really be meditations that can assist with anxiety. So he and his spiritual exercises may also be one you want to check out. Though again, the ones that I would recommend the most aren't Dymphna and Mary. And may God bless you. May God keep you. I am praying for you. I hope that you can quiet your mind and find the love, the peace, and the gratitude of God 
that exist within you. God bless you. Sense and Sensibilities wants to know curly girl shampoo recommendations and what version of the Bible do you use? Oh, man. Um, R&Co Cassette is the shampoo that I use. Uh, and Shea Moisture Conditioner. <laughs> Thanks for that. Version of the Bible that I use. For Psalms, I use King James. Um, for some of them, the majority, I use King James. For Psalms, I just like how they read. I love, for instance, um, 94. God who vengeance belongeth, O God who vengeance belongeth, show thyself. So, you know, belongeth thyself. For those, they just spark something within me that I prefer. Personal study, New Revised Standard Version um, is what I use for personal study, is what I use for reading, is what I use for research, is what I use for Lectio, or what I will be using for Lectio Divina right now, just for kind of meditation. And I do recommend, and you'll see that a lot, especially with, with Catholics, where you're actually recommended to have various Bibles around, uh, you know, one for reading, one for kind of personal study. Uh, that's not that uncommon. So find one that fits your style, that speaks to you, and check it out. All right, Nancy plus my three asks another question. Reincarnation, question mark. It's a good question. I flip-flop on it, if I believe it or not, because how can you be an ancestor and still be reincarnated? See my dilemma. So do I believe in it or not? I am not sure. Frankly, I am too busy concentrating on the here and now, the things that I can see in front of me, the things that I can touch, the things that I can change, the things that I can taste, feel, and contribute to, rather than pondering too much on the nature of the afterlife, something that I will not know, hopefully anytime soon, and something I will never know about. Nonetheless, do I believe in it? I think I kind of do. Uh, I had for many years. I've kind of taken that out of my brain. I do believe in an afterlife. I do believe in a beautiful afterlife in which you may call a heaven. Um, though I do think that there is a lot of evidence for reincarnation being a thing. To answer your question, how can you be an ancestor and also be reincarnated? So the cycle of birth and rebirth is an Eastern philosophy that has its roots in Hinduism. And then later, of course, since Buddhism was an offshoot of Hinduism, it is found in Buddhism as well. You'll also see it in Jainism. So the circle of birth and rebirth is essentially almost like instead of there being a hell realm, you are continuously reborn. And then after you reach a state of enlightenment or you have lived enough lives, then you will be essentially ascending into heaven rather than being born again or into a devaloka, which is like a heaven state. So to answer your question about how can you be an ancestor and be reincarnated, the answer would be your ancestor broke the cycle of birth and rebirth and they were able to get into heaven or the afterlife. But again, I'm just a, a simple Southern man who prays to the saints, does his little rosary, lights some candles, 
tries to be a good person and help one another, tries to feel the Holy Spirit within my body, within everything around me, that likes to pray his psalms and pray his prayers. I like to not dwell too much into the afterlife and dwell too much into things that I do not understand. I love to pick apart scripture. I love to pick apart things that the Lord has said, the saints have said, maybe even the nature of certain things. Though the afterlife, I hope I don't have to think about that anytime soon. Right now, I'd rather think about what I can do here and how I can more bring forth the kingdom while we are still here on earth. Though reincarnation has fascinated me and I, I do believe in it. I do believe it is a very valid concept of the afterlife, yes. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to ponder these things by any means. It's just not where my personal mind is going. These days, at least. I feel like I used to. I feel like I used to think about those things a lot more. But now I'm just trying to be here and have more of a simple approach. And it's working out really well for me. All right, and the next and likely final question comes from Oh No It's Flow, Florence, on Instagram. How do you make sense of God after the genocidal tendencies in the Old Testament? Do you consider your God completely separate from that God? Was it just ideas of men being pushed upon him? I struggle to read the Bible and actually feel any genuine connection to Yahweh, and I'm curious how you do it. I hope you don't think I'm being like, ooh, a Christian canceled. I really just want to know how progressive full Catholics justify the Abrahamic God. Beautiful question. And if you are going to ask me as a personal practitioner, as I just said, I do tend to more of a simplistic practice and frankly, the Old Testament or the Bible and me studying it has not been a huge part of my personal relationship with the divine whatsoever. When I do read the Old Testament, a few things stick out. One, I do and I am aware that the Old Testament was created to tell a certain story and to meet a certain narrative. So yes, there are elements of the Old Testament that, yes, could be considered symbolic. Also, the Old Testament has been edited quite a bit to tell a story about various deities and various country of deities battling one another and has been kind of mangled a little bit to talk about Yahweh when some of those stories actually talked about other deities. There's a whole lot we can get into. How do I rec reconcile it? My own relationship with God reconciles it. Because the God I know is not genocidal. The God I know might be strict and stern at times, but the God I know when I pray, the God I know when I am on my knees, the God that I know when I call upon him delivers for me. Don't believe everything you've read about me and the books and the papers is what he would tell me to tell you. Instead of believing what other people have said, instead sit down and get to know me and discover that for yourself. That is what God would tell me to tell you. So how do I justify it? I justify it because I have a personal relationship that goes beyond books, that goes beyond the church, that goes beyond what other people have said, other people have written and other people have written to symbolize him. That is how I justify it. Because I wake up every day with this feeling inside of me 
Florence, I wake up every day and I tap in to this beautiful dancing that is around me, this beautiful swirling that is around me, and even on the worst of days, I can still feel him. That is how I justify the Abrahamic God. I justify the Abrahamic God because the Abrahamic God sent his son to make the old laws invalid, to make the old laws no more. God sent his only son not so God could change his mind about us, but so that our minds could change about God, so that God could now be human. So that God could now be seen as a person that we can relate to him, not as this figure of old in the sky looking down. How do I reconcile it? I don't know. Is it my place to reconcile it? Is it my place to dive into it? I can speak on what I feel and call it the Abrahamic God. You can call my God whatever you want to call my God. But all I know is the God I feel in my soul is not genocidal. It's not angry. It's not evil. Could the God that I feel not be the Abrahamic God? I don't know. Justification. Who am I to justify the divine? What am I going to do? Hold him accountable? I justify Yahweh because I feel Yahweh. And if I do not feel Yahweh, I feel Christ. And if I do not feel Christ, I feel the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be that complex. It can genuinely be that simple. Thank you for your question. And I'd like to thank all of you for joining me tonight, sitting with me tonight, being with me tonight on our first rendition, our first episode, our first gathering, our first congregation of the Lord's line. Thank you so much for everyone who has dialed in, who has sent me messages, who has shared this space with me, who has walked with me, was let me walk beside you. You are all incredible people. You are all incredible souls. And I am honored to be in your ears right now. Thank you for holding a space for me because I will always hold a space for each and every one of you. Now I was hoping or I was planning on ending with another song from the incredible Antioch Mass Choir. I was intending on doing something a little more upbeat, but a lot of these questions have stirred up this feeling of the unseen, of the spirit, of grace. And thus, let's listen to an old classic. Let's end the show with a rendition of Amazing Grace by the very talented Antioch Mass Choir. Again, thank you very much. May God hold you. May God keep you. May he keep you safe in the palm of his hand. God bless you all. I have been your host, Deacon W. And until we meet again, remember, don't let the devil ride because eventually the devil will want to drive. And if you let him in your car, 
He's gonna take it too far. God bless you all. And good night. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I, I was, was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. Yeah.